Welcome to Sound and Vision, that trivia-based wonder of pop culture, with your host, Marty Boston. That's me, Marty Boston, enthusiasm. Dan Wilson, my radiant co-host, is with us once more. He's a little bit sleepy today, which means I'm here to perk him up. It's going to be amazing. Do you know why it's going to be amazing, Dan? Why is it going to be amazing, Marcy? Because the theme for this week is very, very unique. It is movies about making movies. A very niche topic. So niche that I struggle to find two films that I'd seen that fit this topic. <laughs> but we're getting ahead of ourselves. The way that the show works is as followed. Both myself and Dan, like you said, have chosen two films each. I will be giving you free clues or free bits of trivia. Then a little bit of music will be played. That's your time to suss out what in the world I'm speaking about. The music's not related to film in any way, shape, or form, so that's not going to be a clue. I'll come back, reveal what the film is, discuss it a little bit with Dan, and we'll do that twice over, like I said. So me, Dan, me, Dan. Simple enough. Follow at home. It's a game show. Woo! Love me a game show. Would you ever go on a game show? I think I'd go on a game show without the expectation that I'd be winning anything. Would you feel confident to go on something like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, for example? Or do you think you'd be more better suited for Funhouse? I think if there was ever a game show that I was suited for, it's Hole in the Wall with Dale Winton. Do you remember Hole in the Wall? <laughs> no. Hole in the Wall does really exactly creepy. what it says on the tin, where a polystyrene wall comes zooming at the player and they have to configure themselves into a shape that will go through the previously cut hole in the wall. <laughs> Lest they get pushed into the pool of water behind them. I am looking into this as soon as this show is over. Genius. It's an absolute banger. Check Wonderful. it out. Yeah, I will. Um, I reckon Funhouse for me would be the game show I'd go on. Whole lot of fun. Prizes to be won. The, to be fair, the one game show we do repeatedly watch in my house at the moment is called Only Connect. Okay. And if you want to watch a game show that will make you feel stupid, I recommend Only Connect. <laughs> because it's f- connecting for seemingly totally disconnected clues and they just they do it like that and you sit there and go I didn't understand the question sometimes we get one question and then that's us considering ourselves victors for the show we uh, we watch catchphrase that's our, that's our thing in our Mr. house Mr Chips my boy yeah we love a bit of catchphrase um, and Max will uh, my eldest will quite literally say what he sees so that that's the point of the game admittedly but you know, if there's a question mark in a box, he'll just say question mark in a box as opposed to thinking outside the box, which is the actual thing because there's a man outside and so forth and so forth. So anyway, we're, we're getting off topic here a little. Yeah. So, as I said, the theme of this week is movies about making movies or films making about films. And this is my first clue. Steve Martin came up with the idea for the film 13 years before the film was released and had not written the screenplay for over 10 years afterwards. Clue 2. The company could only get Eddie Murphy for a brief six-week window to shoot his role in the movie. He was between shooting Life and The Nutty Professor 2 and had just had a brief time in his busy schedule to work on the project. However... Eddie Murphy agreed to star in the film only because he was a fan of Steve Martin and wanted to work with him. I'd like to work with Steve Martin. He seems like a lovely chap. Yeah. Clue three. It was Eddie Murphy's idea for Jif Ramsey to wear braces and have his ears stick out and he insisted on not wearing prosthetic makeup 
when it came to filming his scenes as Jif. Now, if you're a fan of Eddie Murphy, you'd probably realise that he is a fan of all the makeup and all that jazz. No, Professor 2, just briefly spoken about it, for example. That's a prime one. Have you seen any Nutty Professor movie? Does he get really, really massive in one of them? He is really, really big. He's no, really but I mean, like, can knock over skyscrapers big? Yes, it's a dream sequence that he has. That's the only part of any of those films that I remember. <laughs> yeah, he, he dreams that he gets so big that he's basically Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, sure, why not? Good. Okay, we'll come back after this. Imagine you are a movie producer. You're not working in office, you're not cutting down trees, you're a movie producer. A failed one, uh, who's never actually had a job. Are they the only two other careers? Yes. Those movie are... producer, office worker, cutting lumberjack. Down, yeah, cutting down trees. I don't know how the streets are cleaned, I don't know how people are given food. All I know is those are the three jobs that I'm aware of. Okay, good, carry on. Um, so imagine you're a desperate movie producer. You've never actually produced a film, admittedly, really. You're a failure. You've got a plan, to be fair. You've read this script, you love this script, and you want a big A-star celeb, and you issue your script out to loads of people, and they're like, jog on, you're no one. Uh, I'm not interested in this whatsoever. So what you do instead is you secretly film a major movie star in order to incorporate it in your film. And that's what Steve Martin does in the film Bowfinger. 99 this film was created. It's a wonderful little story. Eddie Murphy's completely oblivious to his being part of this film. And, and Eddie Murphy is the celebrity being filmed, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's, there's aliens involved, and he just thinks that he's going crazy, and he's got a um, psychiatrist, a Terence Stamp is his psychiatrist, and he's questioning what's going on, and it's really, really funny. What what makes it awkward, though, my memory for this film will always be this. So this came out in 99, um, so I was born in 88, which means I was 12-ish, 12, 13. This is my first film that I went to the cinema, which was a 12. I went with my mother and her um, friend as well, and... There's a fair few sex scenes in it. So to watch this with my mum was horrific at that point in my life. And it's something which I'll always remember this film for. Sorry, I need to clarify because I haven't seen this film. Mm. Is Eddie Murphy playing the role of Eddie Murphy in this film? No. So Eddie Murphy is playing the role of another actor celebrity. That's right. Because I wasn't quite sure if you were genuinely saying to me that he was walking around filming Eddie Murphy. No, no, no. (laughs) No, but that is the entire point. So Eddie Murphy is just an A A star celeb, um, you know, he's walking about and everything, and then all of a sudden this woman will come up to him and start reading off a script which he's obviously remembered and he's like, What? I don't know what you're on about and runs away and then a guy with a knife runs after him as well. So then he's running away and the cameras are following him secretly as well, in cars, behind bushes, etc. etc. 
Eddie Murphy thinks, well, the character Eddie Murphy plays, sorry, thinks that he's then going insane because all this stuff is happening. Exactly. It sounds quite good, actually. Now, what they do in addition on top of that is they actually find Eddie Murphy's A-list celebrity. Um, he has a twin called Jif. And Jif is the polar opposite of Eddie Murphy. So this is when Eddie Murphy, you know, was gorgeous, was all abby, you know, he, he, was, a, he was a specimen, essentially. Jif is the polar opposite. He looks exactly the same, but he's got braces, sticky out ears, he's goofy, he's nerdy, he's never looked at a woman before, um, and all he wants to do is go and get coffee for people. That's all he wants to do. Steve Martin uses this to his advantage, however, because he looks so alike Eddie Murphy, gets rid of all of that, and uses him in certain scenes where they physically cannot get Eddie Murphy to do it. Because obviously there's an issue. Prime example is Jif needs to run across a highway whilst traffic is moving. It's going to be really difficult to get Eddie Murphy's character to run down there and run across the freeway. Because he could turn right instead of left to the freeway. So they use him for certain scenes like that. And it's a really comedy aspect. And is Jif played by Eddie Murphy? Where, yeah, is, of course. Because yeah. this is Eddie Murphy's bread and butter. Exactly. Uh, he likes working multiple characters and it works in this as well. Heather Graham's also in this as well and a very small part, Robert Downey Jr. is also in this as well as okay, well. Sure. Obviously Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. But yeah, really, really enjoyable film. You know, it's light-hearted. You don't have to think too much about it. It's it's fairly enjoyable and I'd highly recommend it. Very nice. Hmm. That is my first choice. <laughs> Well then, I feel the need to apologise before we get to um, before we get to my first film. Good. As I said, there are a limited number of films I'd seen which fall into this category. One of my choices, excellent, very good film, relevant, modern. However, my first choice, Marty, is <laughs> somewhat of a loose fit. Yeah, I so I know it's, what this film is. It's not the best film, and. I found exactly five pieces of trivia on this film online. I haven't seen this film. Okay. Well, let's jump into the clues and see if anyone, <laughs> anyone at all... In the world... ...can guess what this is. Okay. So, clue number one. Despite being a film about making a film, there are a huge number of errors in this film relating to when it was set. So this film is set in 1995, uh, but despite this, there is a bus with the advert for Mamma Mia, which came out in 1999, <laughs> there is a Citroen Zara Picasso, which came out in 2000, and all of the aircraft seen in this film are with the paint scheme of the year 2000 as well. <laughs> the, the tenuous facts this week. Fact number two. A year after this film released, so mm. in the year 2006... There was a making of the making of this film, (laughs) which makes it a making of, of a making of, of a movie. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And fact number three, and this is a doozy, and this is the top rated fact on IMDb for this film. Government. Where the crowds are banging on the windows in the Museum of London, the writing on the glass is the word welcome in many different languages. Is that it? That's the whole fact, yes. (laughs) If you can guess what this film is, I will personally come to your house and give you a handshake. Well, there's an invite you can't refuse. And this is your time to think.
Two friends on the hunt for rare Elvis memorabilia come across the opportunity of a lifetime. The opportunity to purchase a piece of film which, if real, will have far-reaching consequences for the rest of humanity. That piece of film is, of course, a video of an alien autopsy. Uh, Alien Autopsy is a film starring (laughs) Declan Donnelly and Ant McPartlin in which they get hold of this footage... Uh, having borrowed money from a miscellaneous Eastern European mobster, and they, in, transi- in transferring this film back from Nevada in the US, the film gets destroyed due to humidity after opening the tin. So they have to recreate the film in such a convincing way that the person that funded the purchase of the film will not realise that they have ruined the original copy or he will break their legs. Wow. Yes, it's it's interesting. And it is a film about making a film. A it is. A landing autopsy. Um, it's more of a... It's Because it's set in the early 90s in the UK. It's a lot of, like, mates hanging out with each other, like, going to the pub and, like, trying to sort of deal with all these, like, wacky shenanigans that Ant and Deck have sort of gotten themselves into. Um, it's not a good film. <laughs> Ant and Deck were never really made to be A-list movie star celebrities. What are you on about? Did you not see Biker Grove when... And got blinded. I did. And it's not much better than that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's a fine film, and it's it's just sort of one of those things where it's like Alien Autopsy, like this this real Alien Autopsy video has been floating around forever as to whether it actually is real or isn't real. Mm. So it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek nod to that and, you know, them trying to make the alien body, but they go to their butcher mate to get all the meats for, like, the stomach and the intestines and they get someone else to, like, make the alien out of bin bags and stuff and it's supposed to be convincing, but then, like, the whole time they're, like, documenting the making of it. So it's kind of meta in terms of the... uh, Film production side of it. And honestly, Marty, I have just literally said everything I can say about this film. Do Normally that. at the end I go, it's worth a watch. I don't think this one is. So to you know, prevent us from watching it, do they get their legs broken? They don't. They managed to just about convince the man that it is real. Not after falling out in the middle of the film and then you know, bringing the characters back together. There's a whole emotional journey they take you on. These characters really <laughs> develop. But... um and at the end, they managed to restore the original footage, which they watch, and then bury so as to hide from the rest of the world. So you're never really sure as a viewer whether aliens are or are not out there. Wowza. Yeah. I'm assuming, considering they bury it, that they are out there. Well, maybe. Who cares? <laughs> Ant and Deck do. Yeah. Well, no, Ant and Deck's characters, which I, I can't even remember the names of. Don't watch this film. Is I it- only brought this film up because I could think of no other films I'd seen about filmmaking... Don't watch this film. Is there any other famous people in it? Um, do you remember the comedian Ahmed Jalili? Yes. He's in it. Oh, okay. I like him. He's funny. He plays the uh, the videographer, the guy who films all the autopsy. Perfect. No one else, though. Um, I think Jimmy Carr has a brief cameo. Nice. There you go. But that's it. That's it. 
Good. So maybe um, don't give that a watch. Hey, out of ten stars. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to a slightly better film? Yeah, that is Dan's first choice. Okay. Moving on to my second clue one. The script was written after the songs, and so the writers had to generate a plot into which the songs would fit. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? Can you imagine that? Working at all the songs and then going, I'm going to make a film, not just release these songs, I'm going to make a film around it as well. Hmm. Clue two. For the Make Em Laugh number, Gene Kelly asked Donald O'Connor to revive a trick he had done as a young dancer, running up a wall and completing a somersault. The number was so physically taxing that O'Connor, who smoked four packs of cigarettes a day at the time, ended up in a hospital bed for a week after its completion. He suffered from exhaustion and painful carpet burns. Unfortunately, however, an accident ruined all of the initial footage, so after a brief rest, O'Connor, ever the professional, agreed to do the difficult number all over again. I like the implication that it was the exercise and not the 80 cigarettes a day that land him in hospital. <laughs> no, that's the best bit. <laughs> Clue free. After they finished the good morning number, Debbie Reynolds had to be carried to her dressing room because she had burst some blood vessels in her feet. Despite her hard work on the good morning number, Gene Kelly ultimately decided to dub the sound of her feet as well as his own, as was the practice at the time. Turns out it wasn't actually the dancing that gave her those burst blood vessels. It was four bags of cocaine she was doing a day. <laughs> I struggled through that sentence. Jeez. That's fine, because, um, you know, it, it might be true. We don't know. I never knew Debbie, personally. Anyway, this is your time to think, and we'll be back after this. Imagine, you know, you're living in the early ages of cinema and all you've known is silent films. You've not had to worry about audio. You've had an orchestra. You've had a score going on and that's what it's about. And when people speak, you have little cue cards. Um, And then through magic of technology, essentially, you are finally able to use sound. You can hear people speak. You have the technology. And that's what happens. A production company has to go through that transition, a difficult transition for everything that you've known, everything that you do, everything that you, you're you're made aware of and what you are, what people are aware of as your organisation as well. That makes sense. Um, <laughs> everything. It's everything you know and it's everything everyone else knows. And then technology creates this thing and you have to adjust to it. The same way that they did with black and white to colour. The same way that they did with VHS to DVD and vinyl to CD and so forth and so forth and so forth. You always have to adapt, always have to change. And that's what happens in the absolute cult classic. If you haven't seen it, like Dan, 
It's crazy for you. It's singing in rain, of course. What a wonderful, lovely film. A lot of funny moments in this. I um, I feel like I'm with quite a lot of other people. But singing in the rain is not the best song in this film either, which is surprising considering it's called Singing in the Rain. Also, the front cover depicts all three of the main characters, so the actors which I've described just then, on the front cover in the rain. It's only one of them in that scene. It's only Gene Kelly. Um, gorgeously done. He had a fever at the time of that. He did that in one take and that was it. It's an amazing scene, but not the best song. Make Them Laugh is the best song. It's absolutely genius. It's so full of energy, so enjoyable to watch as well. That The backflips in particular is really, really impressive. And he is. He's really energetic. And, he, and you can see that he's putting everything into it as well. And it just comes across so well. It's a fantastic film. The actors are on point. And the story, as a production company kind of goes into the background and you find more about Gene Kelly's character and he falls in love with a girl who's got an amazing voice but his co-star, his on-star romance so to speak has a horrific voice, shocking no one wants to hear it because back then when it was just a silent film production you didn't have to worry about your voice then all of a sudden we finally hear it and she's got a voice which no one wants to listen to well what are we going to do about this? I know, we're going to dub it we're going to get someone else to look at her lips when she's saying stuff, mime it, re-edit it over, and then send it out. And that's what they do. Just the like James L. Jones in Star Wars, who uh, did the voice of Darth Vader. Yeah, he did. What, what, do, you, what do you mean, edit it? Well, because James L. Jones did the uh, dub, just dubbed the voiceover. The oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but obviously with Vader, you didn't ever see his lips. So oh, yeah, of course. That wasn't an issue as such. But, no, I completely agree. They just dubbed it over, and that's exactly what they did with this. It's a lovely film. Like I said, lots of songs. I think it's one of those films, probably, where I will know lots of it because of pop culture. Yeah, massive. And loads of references, and I'm watching sort of recognise moments here and there, but have never actually connected them to the film itself. It's a really enjoyable film. Everyone can watch it as well. My four-year-old has watched it. He even loved it because of all the dancing and the bright colours. It's just a really nice film. I'd highly recommend, if you haven't seen Singing in the Rain, to watch it. It's less than two hours as well, so it's not a drawl. It's not something that you're going to have to really push through. Um, so I'd highly recommend Singing in the Rain. Very nice. That is my second choice. We're now going to go on to Dan's final choice. Final and much better, might yeah, I add. much better than... Um, Anne and Deck. Okay, my first clue. Greg Sestero stated that when he was writing the book that this film was based on, Tommy Wiseau said that only two actors could play him in the adaptation, James Franco or Johnny Depp. Wiseau, who claims to have once lived in New Orleans, was a fan of Franco's performance in the film Sunny in 2002. James Franco recalls driving in Los Angeles after 2003 and seeing the giant billboard for the film that Wiseau rented for five years. Franco said he thought it originally might have been for a cult, because of the phone number on the billboard. The phone number would actually go to Wisso's apartment, and there was a recording promoting the film, or he would sometimes answer and tell the caller when and where it was playing. <laughs> to promote the film, the distributor rented the same billboard in Highland Avenue in Los Angeles that Tommy Wiseau rented five years prior to promote the original film, thereby mimicking the layout of the original billboard, including a phone number to RSVP to screenings. <laughs> Um, I haven't seen this film. 
either, actually. This you is, should. Have you seen the film that this film is based on? Nope, haven't seen that either. Okay, watch that first, then watch this film, but we'll talk about that in a moment. We'll be back after this. This is an incredibly hard film to talk about, but James Franco and his brother. Dave Franco. Dave Franco, thank you. Forgot his name for a moment there. James and Dave. James and Dave Franco uh, play the roles of Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau in the creation of the film The Room. This is really hard to talk about for a reason, because The Room is a real film. And Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau are real people. The Room is a film about absolute nonsense and is a cult classic for the reason that it just makes no sense. They spent about five years making this film. Um, Tommy Wiseau funded it entirely himself. No one knows where Tommy Wiseau's from. No one knows if it's his real name. <laughs> no one knows where he got his money from or why he was so obsessed with making this film. But he made one of the worst films to have ever exist. And it's known as that. Isn't and it? it's called The Room. This film is the story of making The Room. <laughs> and it's it's based on a book called The Disaster Artist, which is also the name of the film. And uh, The Disaster Artist was written by Greg Sestero, who is one of the main characters in the original film, The Room. Okay. So, in The Disaster Artist, James Franco plays Tommy Wiseau, the original director and creator of The Room. Dave Franco plays Greg Sestero, the writer of Disaster Artist, and one of the main actors in the room. <laughs> and it's about the absolute insanity that is Tommy Wiseau creating a film that was his passion project. Um, if you've never seen The Room, go watch that. I've, if, seen, I've seen clips online. It's, it's the strangest thing ever. It's maybe the, it's for sure the worst film I've ever seen, but I've never had so much fun watching something that was so terrible. So what's the plot of The Room? So then? the plot of The Room is... Does it have a plot? <laughs> No, not really. <laughs> it's supposed to be about one man and his fiance and love interest and her betrayal of him. Okay. Not one single plot thread in the film finishes. Many of them don't really have a beginning. Stuff just happens in the middle. There was a plot that got cut just a few weeks before release of this film where it, turned, it would turn out the end the lead character was a vampire and could fly a car. <laughs> but mostly it's about a man and his fiance and their relationship. It's not at all about a room. And takes place across an entire city. <laughs> there are sex scenes in the film which are played multiple times. They're the exact same scene. Um, there's a thread about one of the young people who is one of their friends, or maybe their son, it's unclear, getting addicted to drugs and getting robbed that lasts about five minutes and then is not mentioned again during the film. Um, but this is all talking about a really terrible film. What I want to talk about, though, Marty, is The Disaster Artist, mm. which is one of my favourite pieces of cinema from the last five or so years. Because in order to capture the magic that is the worst film ever, James and Dave Franco perfectly 
recreated and therefore turned what was terrible into something amazing. Because it tells the story of an absolute nutter trying to make a film (laughs) with an unlimited budget. But they also do a great deal of actually refilming the scenes. And in the end credits of this film, there is a side-by-side, shot-for-shot remake of half the film, right? And they nail it. The amount of acting skill it must take to play someone trying to genuinely play a character but doing really badly at it, and to do that perfectly sort of blows... This is honestly the hardest film to talk about. But it's, it's this absolute work of genius where they turned the story of a madman creating a bad film into a really compelling and interesting story and did it well. Yeah, and that's about as succinct as I can make it. I'm I'm curious to know: Did you watch the room prior? To I specifically watched the room just before going to see this film. Okay, the room is, and I can't stress this enough, terrible. So you have to watch the room. Watch the room, and then go and watch the Disaster Artist. Okay, and you will love them both for very different reasons. The room has five or six examples of sporks being framed out on a wall. Right. Um, there's one scene where to- I can't I can't remember any of the characters' names, right? But Tommy Wiseau, the director, is also the main character in the film The Room. Wonderful. Uh, he he has a house. At one point, his fiance and her mother walk in through one front door into a house, right? Having just come from outside because they got their coats and bags. Leave the front door open. Walk through the room, talking because they've clearly just arrived back from somewhere. And the mum goes, "Oh, I just realised." I've been here too long, I need to leave or something, and walks out a second front door in another part of the room, which is clearly also a main entrance. <laughs> so she arrived, having just come from somewhere, realised that she actually had something else to do, and leaves via a different front door. And the conversation <laughs> they have is about her having cancer, oh, well, which is not, not brought up again at all during the film. <laughs> it's, it's about this four-minute sequence that just left me scratching my head, and I was like, why did this happen? So there's no continuity in this film at all? No, none whatsoever. Amazing. Yeah, this sounds like a student film that somehow got out because someone has a lot of money. Mm, yeah, it's exactly. And Tommy Wiseau is this amazingly interesting character where genuinely no one knows who he is, where he's from. He's got this thick European accent, but no one quite knows where in Europe. Mm. The, he ha- No one could trace his lineage. No one knows where he got any of his money from. The, he rented a billboard for five years for this yeah. film. Five years in Los Angeles that cost him thousands and thousands of dollars a month. And he did it. And he did it. And everyone hated his film. So within the Disaster Artist, not only do they um, recreate certain scenes, but do they at least try and investigate where Tommy's from? Do they go into detail of all of that as well? No one knows, Marty. No one knows. That's amazing. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that um, Tommy Wiseau says that 99.9% of the film is accurate. <laughs> So take from that what you will. He could just be lying. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a very weird film. Not as weird as The Room, but it's honestly James and Dave Franco do an amazing job in this film. Did um did anyone else turn up in the Disaster Artist? Any other big names other than um, James? Did Seth Rogen? Seth Rogen's in it. Yes, Probably. that's right. Because um, of course, yeah. if James Franco's there. Seth Rogen's going to be there. Absolutely. Um, but that, that's the only other big name I can remember. But yeah, so it's a very, very genuinely good film. The, the side by side remake at the end is is fantastic. Wonderful. Okay, well, I'll give it a watch, and I would recommend that you do too. That is the end of this week's show. We will be back, and not next week, but a week after. 
Um, so until then, Daniel, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having us. And until then, have two weeks. Toodles.